This is Pet Life Radio. Let's talk pets. And welcome, welcome. You're here live today with Dr. Jeff Werber, your host for the next 30 minutes here on Pet Life Radio's Ask the Vets with Dr. Jeff. We're here for you. We're here for your pets. We're here to answer any questions you might have. As I'm just uh, texting a, a potential caller, and um, and maybe we'll get uh, someone to join us here with some questions about her limping cat. And um, we'll see if maybe we can... Uh, all learn something. And that's the beauty of this. You know, it's funny. Every time someone has a potential problem, I can tell you that um, there are definitely other pet parents out there that have had the same problems with their pets and they're afraid to call. So just think if you call and I help you, I'm not just helping you. I'm sure I'll be helping others as well. We have JC and Joe Candela. Hey, how you doing? Uh, make sure you're not muted. Oh, there, you, there you go. Try again. Yeah, Dr. Jeff, how are you? Hi. Good. How are you? Okay, it's uh, uh, Joe from Stony Point, New York. If you remember some of my uh, emails that you've had. yes, how are you, how are you doing? What's going on? Oh, not too not too much. But have uh, have the Lily the cat that I've been emailing you about here. See if we can get her in the oh, perfect. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. You know, it's funny. I have one looks just like that. My uh, in fact, it's so funny. I tell people when I do my telemedicine and you know we're talking to each other on video. If I see a big black cat like that, I say you you got to see this. I take my cat over to a sink in the kitchen. And he, like most cats, we have the drink well, and cats seem to like that. Yep. But this cat little sticks his whole head under the faucet, <laughs> running water, lets the, the water drip from his head down, into, and, he, and he starts licking it from the side as it's dripping into his mouth. It's a panic. <laughs> he was an outdoor cat. We was, he was a stray. We found him, brought him inside. He wanted to escape every chance he got. And now you can have the door wide open. He'll walk up to the door. He takes a look to the right and the left. And he says, nah, much, much better in here. <laughs> This one wouldn't do too good if uh, if she she's always been an indoor cat, so uh, you know that's a good thing. Uh, I have a, a, a quick uh, question for sure. you. Sure. Cat food on canned cat food. Is there any truth to the idea that you should not uh, feed the uh, cat food, the uh, canned cat food, right out of the if you store it in the refrigerator? You shouldn't feed it without warming it up, say in the microwave for a few seconds first. Uh, Someone had uh, had at one point told me that I think it was something to the effect that it causes cancer if you feed it cold like that. Is, uh, is there? Any- I would say no truth. I would say that it, it now it's as a taste issue. What I found if cats that don't like the food after it's been opened and fresh out of the can, and they say, "Oh no, he won't. You have to eat it all at once." I said, "No, no. Are you putting it in the fridge? Yes, I'm putting it in the fridge. Why don't you take it out and stick, you know, in a bowl, not in a can, or stick it in the microwave for a few seconds? Because you find out they just don't like cold food now." I have been feeding my cats because um, I do. So I open open a can. Sometimes if it's left over, I'll put it in the fridge, feed it to them again. Same thing with my dogs. And um, there is no truth to it causing cancer. What it could do is enhances the taste yeah. if you have it warmed up a little bit. And I do find that if you have an, a finicky cat, they would probably prefer it a little room temperature to warm huh. than cold. But my, my cats, they'll eat anything. So like the ice, it could be ice cubes, they'll eat them. So uh, uh, no, but it's not going to, it wouldn't be taste change, yes, cancer causing, no. Right. And the, uh, the other question I have is, that, you know, she's constantly, um, you know, she's, it seems to me that she's over grooming and she's, you know, she'll throw up the hairballs and, 
you and I had our uh, conversation and uh, you answered on the podcast about the uh, uh, the hairball remedies and um, they work when I use them, but, <laughs> you know, but I'm wondering if you have a, if you can give us any advice on how much grooming is too much grooming. Well, you know, sometimes cats will groom out of anxiety or nerves. They, look, cats are fastidious. They do like to groom themselves, which is a good thing. If the behavior really hasn't changed much and there's nothing that you can link it to that, that is stress related, then I would say it's just the cat. And when I tell people about hairball, even if you have a short hair cat, um, it looks like he's pretty, he's normal, he's a domestic short hair, then that they still groom themselves and they can still get hairballs. Now, when they vomit, they may not, you may not see a clump hairball, classic hairball coming up. That just means that the obstruction is farther down the intestinal tract. It's once it's out of the stomach, it's not coming up. So what I recommend then is to do, you know, when you have a problem, you give them like four consecutive days of the hairball remedy. And then as a, just a religious practice, do it twice a week. Just because the hairball stops, don't stop giving the hairball remedy. So cats that are prone to grooming and going to get hairballs, you should have them on the hairball remedy forever. And if they do vomit, it's still going like instead of every third or fourth day, twice a week, then go to maybe go a few days in a row again, just to clean them out and then go back to the twice a week. Yeah, we usually do find the hair. So I guess she's tossing it before it gets too low. But Yes, could be. I appreciate your advice on that. Thank you very much. All right. So uh, very good. Thanks for joining us. All and right. you see how easy that was. And guess guess what it cost Joe right now? <laughs> Nothing. Free advice. So go for it. Sure. That's why we're here, here at Pet Life Radio. So as many of you know, I'd like to start the show. I can uh, peruse the news in the veterinary world just to educate you. And this was something that we should, it's kind of new, really. And that is 45% of cats. And interesting, the call that I'm trying to get uh, the caller to come on is about this subject. 45% of all cats and 90% of cats over the age of 10 are prone to arthritis, believe it or not. We never thought cats get arthritis. And um, the behaviors that you may see that you may think are because of, you know, aging, just because he's old, or other causes or problems might simply be joint disease. So if you have cats that are getting old and they're starting to do things like, you know, hesitant to, and I'm going to give you, here's, here's some of the things that you should look for. They normally can jump up, all right? but now they're having issues jumping up. They're having problems jumping down. Like they're on that table and they're like really looking at the situation. Do I want to make that leap because they know it's going to hurt them. They'll climb upstairs. All right. Normally they normally climb upstairs. Now they don't want to, they're a little more hesitant to climb upstairs and they're climbing downstairs. And that is also something that is affected. So they used to zoom up the stairs and zoom down the stairs. Now they're kind of hesitant going up and also hesitant coming down. And, um, do they run normally? Can they run normally? Are you seeing a difference in the running? And how about this? Chasing moving objects, even if it's a toy. You know, like cats sometimes will see something and see and they'll run to that window. If all of a sudden you see they're not so eager to run that window and jump up on the counter to see the bird, that could be signs of arthritis. Now, here is some, uh, we're learning also, which is no news to pet lovers, but pets ease stress in families dealing with, it's the ASD, which is the autism spectrum disorder. Apparently, kids... Uh, Develop, autistic kids will develop very strong bonds with their pets. And interestingly, the owning one does not add to the household stress, as some people thought, and would use it as an excuse not to get a pet. And we find the pets provide comfort and support for these affected children and to their parents. And also one other thing, that interestingly, multiple pet households have even more benefits. So if you have, are you in such a family situation? and have ASD in the family, you might want to get more than one pet. And uh, it would be good for you, good for the uh, affected child. So think about that. The pandemic is causing some problems with international travel with pets. 
you have to know this. Some of the airlines actually suspended all international travel of pets if the pet has to be down below in baggage, all right, or in cargo hold. Still, you probably, with advance notice and the reservation, be able to take a, bring a pet onto a plane with you. But these things may change. But right now, if you are thinking of traveling with a large dog and he's not a service dog, cannot come in the cabin with you, it's not going to happen. Just keep an eye on that. So how about this clinging pets? So what happens when you have a clinging pet? What do most of us feel when our pets want to cling and hug and, and jump up on us and cuddle next to us, right? Joe, doesn't that make you happy when they do that, right? So, well, it finds out that, so what we do, we love it. So we provide the care. We let them cuddle with us. We pet them. Oh my God, it's, it's the best feeling ever. But what we're doing is we're reinforcing a behavior that might be related to something not good. For example, so routine changes might cause pets more anxiety, sometimes skittishness, sometimes aggressive behavior. But if they're becoming more skittish and they are anxious and they come to you for cuddling, so what do you do? That's like, here's the classic example. We talk about this every 4th of July. You have a dog that is scared, that hates the fireworks. So what do they do? They start cuddling. They, they cower in the corner. You call them over to you. say, oh, come here. No, that's okay. Good boy. Hug, hug, kiss, kiss. Meanwhile, what do you do? You're reinforcing that behavior. So now they're saying, boy, this is great. I don't really care about the fireworks, but I'm going to play that. It's bothering me and I'm getting all this love and attention. So when it comes to, how and what we are, how we are handling and reacting to our pets who are reacting to some outside stimulus. We need to be careful because we don't want to reinforce the bad behavior. Now, one might argue, and I don't disagree, that, well, is that such bad behavior? They want to cling and they want to cuddle. I certainly, that's not bad behavior for me. I love it. So, um, but just, just keep an eye on it. If there's something that it's all of a sudden changed, if it's their personality and they've always been like this, that's one thing. But if they are, it's something new, they've never really been like this. All of a sudden you're sitting around and they want to come up and they want to tuck in their nose under your arm and they want you to, they want to come up on your lap. Um, there may be something underlying and we may want to be very careful how much we, we promote that behavior. So because of what's going on with COVID-19 and the big cats, right? We remember the, the Bronx Zoo and the tigers, so it is very possible that we are that we're seeing a ban of private ownership of these cats, and there's a lot of support for it as well. And I know there are some private zoos out there having some issues because one visitor to a private zoo commented, wrote online that the handlers were not wearing gloves and masks. They did not seem to. They were just going up to these cats. We know that the cat potentially could carry the virus. So it's very disturbing. And so now some of the organizations are sort of jumping on board and are not allowing these private Jews and they're banning the ownership of these large cats. This was really cool, cool story. So first of all, we've reported this months and months ago about a veterinarian in Japan who has been doing open heart surgeries on dogs. I know of, of people traveling to Japan well, not now with COVID-19, but that we're planning on it to have this surgeon. So anyway, some of the veterinary schools have been sending students over their cardiology and surgeons to work with this guy to learn the technique. I mean, first of all, you would think that we, and I guess it's a cocky attitude to have, are we're the most advanced 
you know, country in the world when it comes to veterinary medicine and our pets. And now we're finding out there's a veterinarian in Japan who who's got has got tons on us. So um, we are trying to learn. So anyway, Cornell did an open heart surgery. It wasn't for a valve. It was for a tumor in the ventricular wall. And they had to literally, because of the problems and the location, they couldn't hook this dog up to a heart-lung machine. So they had to literally get in there. They had teams they had from both the veterinary and the medical school, anesthesiologists that were working on the dog. What they had to do was cut the chest, get into the heart. They had Once they had to open that heart, and you're getting all this bleeding, they had to include the major vessels going in and out of the heart. So they had less than five minutes because they couldn't put this dog on a heart-lung machine. Less than five minutes to get into the heart, once they cracked the chest, into the heart, they had to remove the tumor and close the ventricular wall all within five minutes. And it worked. They did well. And the dog is doing really well. So uh, that's great. So what I wanted to talk about on the right after our break, of course, welcoming any callers you'd like to get a hold of us, you can either call us 877-385-8882 or better yet, do what uh, Joe did. And that is to get on to the, um, the app, PetLifeRadio.com. You go to the website, you click on shows, scroll down to Ask the Vets with Dr. Jeff, and you can reach us right there live. Click on the link, join us here on Zoom and ask away. Make sure you have your pets with you. And uh, as I said, this is what I'm, what I'm doing with my telemedicine. And we're going to talk about this coming out of the break, how things are going to now start to change. And what does that mean for you and your pets as some of the restrictions might be opened up? There are many states where in California where we were considered essential. I've been going to work, but there are some changes that are going to be happening in some other states. And you need to know how to work with it, how to deal with it. So when we come back after these short messages, we are going to delve into what we do, how we do when we get to take our pets back to the vet. Don't go away. So now I've got this pack of four Sharpay rescue dogs. Jimmy, Coco, another Sharpay, one pug, who is Joe. I have stuck with the Dynavite for, oh my goodness, probably five, six years. D-I-N-O-V-I-T-E dot com. People remark on really how well my dogs look, what beautiful coats they've got. I tell them, yep, they get a regular diet of Dynavite with every meal. Dynavite is nutrition. All I have to do is say dog food. It's a pandemonium. They can be half asleep, and they're up and thrilled. She just looks that whole squeaky clean. You don't need to wait until a problem presents itself. It's far better to keep the dog happy and healthy at all times. Dynavite for life. You won't believe how happy your dog will be. People do ask how they get Dynavite. I tell them I get my Dynavite from D-I-N-O-V-I-T-E dot com. Let's talk pets. Let's talk pets on Pet Life Radio. Pet Life Radio. Welcome back. You're here live with Dr. Jeff Werber. 
here for the next few minutes on our show. And so one of the things we, we noticed, or I guess the world has noticed, that due to the shutdowns, more people are spending time at home with their pets. So what's interesting is that because they're spending more time with their pets, they're noticing more problems with their pets. So, you know, typically you got to walk in the morning, you got breakfast, have a coffee, you go to work, you're gone all day, coming home, and the animal's excited to see you. So with adrenaline going there, you know, you just don't see stuff. All of a sudden they're home and you're watching them more and you're saying, oh my God, I, I never noticed that. So now that the restrictions are being opened up a bit slowly, you will have more reason to go to your veterinarian. So, you know, one of the things that we're seeing is what's going to happen? If you have not been to your vet in the last several months since the shutdown, what are you to expect? So I will share with you what I've learned from a lot of my colleagues that have been seeing patients. And, uh, and so for the one thing, when everybody says, I don't know whether your veterinarian did a 15-minute call, office call, a 20-minute or a half hour, whatever it was, it's going to be longer. And the reason for that is there, instead of having a rapid turnaround between patients, everything is going to take more time because some hospitals are only allowing one person in at a time. If they have a large waiting room that they can divide, then they'll may, they will divide it and have two areas and a, a client can stay in each of those two areas. That means two clients in at a time. You cannot walk into an exam room until that exam room is free, until that person before you has left the building. So again, you can understand now, it's almost like if you've been to a market that you have the big things on the ground, you're six feet apart while you're waiting, and you can't get into the market until someone has left the market. So they're keeping tabs. It's going to be very similar for you at the vet hospital. And they're going to probably require you to wear masks. And if not gloves, hand sanitizer. When you walk in, you're going to have to do hand sanitizer. And, um, you know, it's a process. It's, a, it's for your safety. Uh, it's for the safety of the personnel at the hospital, which is very important. Because without them, you won't be able to bring your pet to the hospital. So you have to keep that in mind. So one of the things that a lot of them are also doing is called curbside. So here's what happens. You make your appointment. When you get there, you call the front desk and say, okay, I'm here in the parking lot or here I'm out front. A nurse or a technician will come out, uh, give you your clipboard. You're going to sign in. And what are you here for today? You're going to write down all the problems, the reason why you brought your pet in. And then he or she will take the pet from you and go inside and see the doctor with your pet. And you will be sitting there and sitting there and sitting there wondering what the heck is going on. So one of the things that the reason why I've seen such a boost, a boom in telemedicine in our platform is that what now is happening is with curbside, a lot of the hospitals that are using telemedicine are going to open up the telemedicine, their telemedicine app when they take Buffy from the car. So now you sitting in the car are not just sitting wondering and getting nervous and anxious about what is going on inside with my dog or my cat or my bird or my hamster or my guinea pig, whatever it is. You now are going to become part of the exam. So you're sitting there with your phone on video and you are watching and participating much like you are now, is that if you come onto our show using Zoom, it is the same concept. So I have your pet in an exam room or your doctor does, right? And you are part of the exam. Instead of being sitting at a chair or standing on the other side of the exam table, right now you're in your car, but you are seeing what's going on, speaking to the doctor, he's showing you or she's showing you what's going on, what that lesion was, how bad the ears were. Oh my God, how badly he needs a dentistry. Look at the plaque on the, on the tartar on those teeth, right? So what's happening is you don't feel so isolated. You feel like you're there and you're part of the exam. 
So that has become extremely popular. Now, I have a, um, again, talking to my colleagues that are seeing patients, I am hearing that the ability, and there are a lot, of, even though they're open for business, even though they will allow clients in the hospital one at a time, they have clients that would prefer not to go in because they have small kids at home or they have, or they're above 65 and they don't want to take any chances or they, with an they're taking care of their, one of their parents who's in their eighties or nineties. So, so they don't want to potentially bring the COVID, the pandemic, the, the virus into the house. So they prefer staying in the car. So understand that even though things might loosen up, you, for whatever reason, may choose to use telemedicine, choose to do curbside, and that's a great way for you to do it. It makes you feel, the, the feedback I'm getting is that it makes them feel so much more comfortable. So a couple of things, just as far as the things to keep in mind as you are contemplating or as your hospital is going to open up, and that is that you want to know that give yourself more time. Yes, it's going to take you, you'll be able to get there sooner because there are going to be less cars on the road. I mean, I know that in in Los Angeles, you know, to go a mile used to take 20 minutes. Now you could go five miles in 10 minutes. So it's really great. But as we open up that joy that, oh my God, this is great, is going to soon end. Uh, Even the freeways, oh gosh, it's, it's crazy. I mean, we call the 405, the San Diego freeway, a parking lot because it like is a parking lot 24-7. And now you can, you can actually go 65 miles an hour. You could never do that on these freeways. So unless you're in the fast lane, you know, with my, my, with my electric car, it's great because I, I could go in and, uh, and use the, uh, the carpool lane. Anyway, increased wait time, masks, maybe gloves, hand sanitizing, curbside. These are all things you need to get used to. And they, honestly, guys, this may be the norm for a lot longer than we think. I got an article today from a friend of mine who is an infectious disease emergency room. He, he's an ER, emergency room clinician, but specializes in outbreaks. And he sent me a, a, an article today that blew my mind about where we think we're doing better, not so fast, Charlie. They are anticipating that by, and by June or July, we're going to have oh something like 20,000 cases a day. And there are going to be many more deaths where, because what happens is we ease up too much. And again, don't truth the messenger. This is not my theory, but he's a well-respected guy and brings a lot of facts in from the CDC, from the health organizations. And um, they are very concerned that we are not taking this as seriously as we need to. And we are going to see a second wave that is going to be worse than the first. So I don't know whether it's going to be real or not. I do know that I'm tested, I'm negative, and I'm sadly, I was hoping I'd have antibodies because I, I'm sure I've been exposed. I have a good immune system, and I figured, ah, oh, no problem, I'm going to have antibodies. I had my antibodies tested, though I'm negative, but on, on, the, on the virus, I don't have at least this test that I took, which was a, a test that they were testing, so I don't know how accurate it was, but it showed no antibodies. So I was kind of bummed. I kind of want antibodies. But there's a lot we just we still don't know about. There are a number of different strains out there. There's one new strain that they found that they feel is more aggressive than what we've been dealing with. So though many advances have been made, they don't see, at least according to this article I read this morning, they don't see a, a vaccine that can handle all the different strains for possibly two years. And then other stories from the, the emotional side, the psychological side are saying, if we keep us locked in for another two years, 
you know, it's like the joke was one of the first deaths in one of the countries was after four days into quarantine, the wife strangled her husband. So, uh, so you know, we're going to get on each other's nerves. And uh, we've already seen that the pets are saying enough already. <laughs> Go back to work. I like it better when I have my day alone to myself. So um, anyway, more to come. We'd love feedback. We'd love, uh, we'd love how, how you are coping at home. And when you get back, when your vet opens up, because you know what I'm getting? I'm getting as, as a telemedicine doc, I am getting so many calls from people. I say, so, you know, what you need to do is call your vet. They go, call my vet. My vet has a machine on and they sent me to you, to AirVet. So it's like, oh, well, in that case, let me see if I can help you out. But the problem is, and this is the biggest problem that we're having with the, with the telemedicine, that it's actually easier for a medical doctor to use telemedicine to a patient that he's never seen. He met on telemedicine and he can prescribe drugs. Yet when veterinary medicine, we cannot. There's something that most states are very strict about called a VCPR, veterinary client patient relationship. And though I can, I can tele-advise, I can tele-educate, I can tele-triage, but I can't use, I can do telehealth, but not telemedicine. I cannot prescribe uh, meds without seeing the patient. Having seen the patient within a year for regular doctors, even though they're using telemedicine. So your exams have to be current within a year, and then only they can prescribe meds without having seen the patient uh, today based on that relationship that they've already established. So it is very challenging. So you get used to it. So unless a telemedicine doctor can prove it is a emergency, a life or death emergency, then they can prescribe. But other than that, they have to get you to your vet. And unfortunately, it's like a vicious cycle. It's a catch-22. The vets are sending you to a telemedicine platform, one they use, and then the telemedicine doctor can help but we can't actually prescribe. And we say, no, you got to call your vet to prescribe. And they go, well, I did call my vet and their machine tells me to call you. So it is, uh, we're just having to get through this. It's a problem. Uh, I know many states are doing what they can to maybe ease up for now some of the prohibitions or some of the definitions of VCPR or what we can do and get away with, what type of medications we might be able to prescribe and still be safe. So it's a challenge. Just understand when we're out there trying to help you, it's not because we don't want to help. It's that our hands are tied. And in some states, most states, we can't help. We have limitations of what we can do. Keep that in mind. Anyway, thanks for joining me here on Pet Life Radio. You can follow me on my Instagram, which is at Dr. Jeff Werber, on Facebook, Dr. Jeff Werber. Uh, certainly AirVet, my telemedicine app, if you need any help. And um, anyway, have a great week, everybody. We'll be here next week. Joe, I want to thank you for joining us here. And talk to your friends. Have them uh, you know, say, you know, okay, guys, free advice. Let's bring your pets on and, and talk to them. So uh, have a great week, everybody. Stay safe out there. And we'll be here next week. Same that time. Let's Talk Pets. Every week on demand. Only on PetLifeRadio.com.